the AI Best Business Show. Today I have with me Sean Frank. He's the CEO of Fridge, uh, one of probably the funniest e-commerce Twitter accounts uh, in e-commerce out there. I'm really interested to learn more who is Sean and what does he do? What's Fridge? Let's start with a two to three minutes about you. How did you get here? How did you become the CEO of Fridge? Yeah, of course. First, thanks for having me here. Really appreciate being here. Um, Ridge is a men's accessory company. We make uh, a slim metal wallet. It comes in carbon fiber, titanium, a bunch of cool patterns and styles. Um, that's our flagship product. But we also make knives and pens and key holders and all that type of stuff. Um, you know, we're a very big e-com player. We're bootstrapped, never raised money, and we'll do north of $100 million this year. Uh, trying to build the next Yeti, right? I think Yeti is a great success story. I think if you look up to them uh, in the public markets or, you know, no one's been able to achieve the success they had selling stuff to consumers in the past 10 years. Um, how we got here, I used to own an agency business. So I was an agency guy. I had a co-founder. We did a lot of marketing stuff. Um, Ridge was a client of mine. They ended up buying my agency. Uh, I took an equity stake. Now I, I run the thing as the CEO, but we have a, the original founders are still here. They're on the product side of the business. Um, we have a big team of like 50 people doing a bunch of great work. So that's who I am and that's what I'm doing. Uh, I mean, just in this two or three minutes, you gave me a lot of questions I, I want to ask. Uh, let me start first. The, the, where did the idea kind of come from? I know you you said with the founders. Where did they, How did they come up with the idea? And why did they choose kind of Kickstarter to launch their product on uh, rather than different rather than a different approach to go through? Yeah. So Daniel was a college kid. Uh, he didn't have a wallet. He was using rubber bands, and his dad was making fun of him. So him and his dad decided to to make a better wallet. Uh, Daniel has a product background, right? So since he was really young, fourteen, fifteen, whatever, he was making stuff on the internet and trying to sell it. So he started with there's a game called Rock Band. He started with like mods for your Rock Band kits, and then he got into sunglasses. He got into watches, and then he ended up launching the Ridge. So. Uh, he's always been very product-centric. Um, now, why Kickstarter versus traditional routes? Well, it was 2012, and uh, things just started on Kickstarter back then. It was before there was a robust ecosystem of financing. There was before the robust, robust, you know, Facebook knowledge. It was really just the very early days of direct-to-consumer. So, started on Kickstarter, and I think we're one of the success stories to come out of there. For for founders starting right now in e-commerce, do you think Kickstarter is still a valuable route? You know, I think it had a drought for a couple of years. I think from like 2018 to like 2020, it was not too hot. But there's a lot of really good Kickstarter campaigns that have come out in the past couple of years. There's the guy, he made a company called Fort, I think. They make like Pelo Forts. Uh, you know, there's a lot of competitors and, and a lot of great people launching new products and gadgets on Kickstarter. So it's had a resurgence, specifically since COVID. Um, you know, there's a lot of positives about it. There's a lot of downsides about it. And if you're a first-time entrepreneur, it's harder than ever to make a physical good and ship it to people. I think, you know, if you're going to get into the industry, uh, Kickstarter is still a good tool, but you have to really understand how hard it is to, to make a physical thing and ship it. Great. Jumping into Ridge now, you mentioned that you guys are bootstrapped all the way. How did you guys manage on doing that? 
I mean, it, getting to the numbers you guys got to, and most of brands now, they're, they're looking for financing. They're going VC, private equity round, routes. You're going you're going fully bootstrapped. And what are the benefits? How did you guys get get here? Like, did that and how? what are the some of the hardships? Yeah, we did it because we didn't know any better. Uh, <laughs> that's like, that's what it came down to. Uh, I think life would be easier if, if we would have raised money. Uh, I think there was a couple points throughout our history where, I think we were closer to failure than we realized, right? I mean, just we, we, we didn't know. Um, you know, so the thing that without debt, it's really hard to go out of business, right? Because you can always cut back, find new ways or whatever. And when you have full ownership without, you know, selling a chunk of VCs or whatever, um, you can kind of control your own destiny a little bit. So, you know, being bootstrapped gives you a certain level of resilience, uh, that you can make whatever decision you want. And there, there isn't a looming debt of actually defaulting on loans or whatever. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's, it's, it's challenging. You know, 2018 was a really hard year. And, uh, you know, really just there's a certain point where it's like north of 20, but sub 35 million in annual revenue, where like it just gets really challenging to manage cash flow. That was like the hardest year we've had. And we have really great manufacturing partners who gave us really good terms to get us to this point. But um, yeah, man, I mean, uh, lesson along the way, it's like, I think if, if I had to do it again, I would love to raise money, but you know, we didn't, we didn't have the knowledge or the tools and there wasn't the same sort of infrastructure there is now for, for financing or fundraising. And I mean, looking at it in a way you still own a huge chunk of, I mean, all, all the chunk of the company instead of giving, percentages and equity to other uh, other VCs. So you're, you're in control, as you said, but the stress you're facing and probably going to that. And these are, I think founders in e-commerce have to, and any startup have to weigh both benefits. It, you guys are going at a, a huge rate. Uh, as an e-commerce startup, what are the metrics you focus on always when you're going? What are like three, four metrics you're always keeping in check to keep yourself growing and not go south. Yeah, I wish it was just three or four metrics. It feels like every day you're discovering a new nervous system. Like, like you're you're feeling different metrics every single day, and they fluctuate. I mean, at the end of the day, the most important one for us is profit per day. So we're, we're understanding how much it costs to run the business per day, right? So your daily burn, right? And then we spend a ton of money every day, right? Six figures a day in marketing spend. So it's like, okay. Are we seeing incremental sales come from that and do all the numbers pencil out that like, are we in the black every single day of the business? So, so we call that free cash flow or profit per day or something like that. Um, but then, you know, that's, that's what I would consider like a pulse. So that's like making sure you're alive. But like if you're an athlete and you're training for stuff, there's other stuff you measure, right? Like, you know, how much oxygen are you taking in? Like, that, right. like you could consider that like your MER or whatever, like, and like how that moves up and down over time. So it's it's a lot of inputs, a lot of signals that you're taking into this business. So going going back, let's say I'm an e-commerce that's just starting up. So your advice to e-commerce founders, because the point of the show is I want e many founders coming into the space to learn more about e-commerce or startups in general. So what your let's say a founder is coming new to the space. What will you tell these founders to focus on growing an e-commerce brand? Yeah, uh, does, does, like I mean, a more specific question would be: Does product market more? Does uh, marketing 
what should I focus on product marketing? What should be my main focus and metric to run by? Yeah. And I wish, I wish it was just one thing, okay. you know what I mean? Uh, what, what, what you, what you realize the longer you do it is that, um, having a good product is, uh, what gets you a seat at the table. So you can't even play the econ game without having a good product. We're past the days of drop shipping. We're past the days of relabeling or white labeling or whatever. It's like, uh, having something good is the bare minimum <laughs> to, to get in, right? So you talk about product market fit or whatever. Yeah, having a good thing in the right category, that's minimum to be able to play the game. And then the, to actually win at the game, you need distribution. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's marketing. It's either marketing dollars given to Facebook to give you distribution, or you have to find a way to own distribution through organic channels, be that, you know, launching with an audience. That's why I think influencers launching products are going to be more competitive with the rest of e-com in the future because Mr. Beast can do a TikTok post, a story, a YouTube video and get 300 million views across those where that would cost me a million dollars, right? So yeah. he has an unfair advantage going into it. So um, yeah, it's like to get you in the door to have a conversation with me, you have to have a good product, right? And then post product, it's like, yeah, how do you get as much distribution as possible for as cheap as possible. You, you spoke about giving giving a lot of money to Facebook. And I saw one of your tweets, you were saying that, F, I mean, FB codes keep on rising. And Google, you're not a fan of Google ads. They, you think they're, I want a few tweets, uh, just to quote the tweet. You said that uh, because of uh, like Google, Google ads sucks kind of because of privacy and what's happening. And Facebook's ads are like, same thing, privacy. Where should where should founders go to to put in marketing content, put in user generating content when Facebook has because of Apple have all of uh, all of these privacy concerns. Same thing, Google. Where do you go to put out your marketing content? What's a new channel you you would go to? Yeah, so we, we ran into a thing that we call no new channels. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've been very early adopters of every single marketing channel out there. <laughs> Very first e-com spender on Snapchat. Uh, we spend money on TikTok. We spend money on influencer TV mailers. If there's a place to spend ad dollars, we've we've been there. Um, okay. So you know, for us, it's just about getting better at those channels, right? So we spent we spent five years building a base. So we're like, we're gonna we're gonna put some dollars everywhere. And then we're gonna figure out what works and improve on that. That's the next couple of years of us. That's our vision. But if you're a new founder starting out, right? If you're I want to get into e-commerce. I already have a good product, so I can talk to Sean. Uh, what should I do? And what you should do is uh, develop an audience organically before spending money, right? So okay. it's like, where where can you get organic distribution right now? So Instagram Reels, uh, Snapchat Spotlight, Pinterest as a video player, TikTok, obviously. Like, post on Twitter, figure out how you can get an organic audience and actually be passionate about the thing. The thing about e-com that's like so unique and the reason why I'm in the industry is uh, you have to do literally everything. It's like you have to be an IP specialist. You have to understand how marketplaces work. You have to understand marketing, you have to understand product, all of these challenges. So you can't get into it unless you actually really want to be there. It's the hardest industry to succeed in. Um, you know, you, if you want to be a doctor, sure. That, that's a very <laughs> difficult job. And hats off to all the doctors out there. But they can go to school. There's like a school. There's a program. People pay you to, do, to be a doctor. <laughs> this doesn't work like this. Uh, so anyway, develop an organic audience first. Uh, put yourself out there. It's going to it's going to make you feel exposed and stupid a lot of the time. But like you have to you have to be uh, 
a passionate leader of whatever you're trying to sell. It's funny how you say when you're in e-commerce, you're in the business of doing everything. And uh, there was a all in summit conference happening last week and Elon Musk was speaking and they, he was asked, what is Tesla? And he's like, Tesla is a company that does everything. We do logistics, we do marketing, we sell our own product and we manufacture the product. And this is the thing about e-commerce, an e-commerce company. You're doing everything. You're not just doing one thing and focusing on that. So I, I like this analogy over here. Yeah, and look, it's very hard to make electric cars, right? He's, he has a very difficult job. But the one thing they famously don't do is marketing. So, like, he doesn't have to run Facebook ads. So do all that. Yeah. Do all the logistics, supply chain, product, everything. But now also do marketing and do it yourself. Obviously, it's way harder to run Tesla than it is to run Ridge. But I'm just saying e-commerce is, is uniquely difficult, Definitely. right? If you want to be a right. lawyer, they're hiring lawyers. Or accounts or whatever. Right? So it's a very difficult uh, field to succeed in. We, we spoke about you spoke about Mr. Beast earlier as an influencer. He comes out. He has a product. He's selling. He has distribution already. How do you guys deal with influencers? What are you guys strategies you're using to deal with influencers to influencers to have better outcome? Is it just more more user generated content being out there? Is it specifics? Uh, what can you tell me about that? Yeah, I mean. Uh... All of marketing is distribution, so we use influencers for distribution. Right? Uh, we sponsor PewDiePie, we sponsor uh, Anthony Fantana from the Needle Drop, we sponsor very large people, we sponsor people you've never heard of. Uh, if you go on TikTok, you'll see we sponsor hundreds of millions of views worth of influencers from thousands of people. Um, so our influencer channel is all about distribution and, and, and breath, trying to get as, as, as wide as possible for that distribution. Uh, now, we don't have influencer founders. I'm not famous. None of the other guys here are famous, right? Uh, you know, we talked about partnering with an inf the correct influencer, giving them equity stake, having them co come on as like a, you know a chief creative officer or something like that. So that door is still open, and we might do that in the future. Um, but I think it's it's very strange. But if you want to launch a brand, it's it's in your best interest to become an influencer first and then launch a brand. Okay. That, that's an interesting way to think about it. And I mean, it, it, it's, it's right in terms of, we see Mr. Beast, we see the big names at, at Logan and Jake Paul, uh, they're big influencers launching products because they were influencers first, have this large audience. Once they launch, launch a product, there's right away, if it's a good product, it's selling right away. So love that. Let's speak, go out to the general, Amazon versus Shopify benefits, uh, cons, pros of each. Where do you want founders to go build on? Uh, what's your thoughts? Uh, I, I don't think I don't think it's one or the other anymore. I think successful companies sell on both. Um, you know, Amazon's got a really bad rap a couple of years for just being cheap, shitty goods, but uh, it's they're they're working on improving their offering. Um, and like, look, 25% of American population just shops on Amazon, right? So it's like, they, they, they might have bigger market share than that, but like 25% of people, it's the default search. If you want to buy something, you start on Amazon. If it's not there, you buy a competitor or whatever. So you need to be on Amazon. Uh, if I was going to launch a business today, I would start on Amazon and then try to move, ba move backwards to D2C just because your first hundred customers will be cheaper to get from Amazon than from Shopify. Um, you know, 
I, I think long term you want to reverse that so that more of your business is on Shopify than, than Amazon. And we say Shopify, but I really just mean the D2C cart. I think all the right. D2C carts are essentially a back-end checkout for Facebook. That's what Shopify is. They've built a really great business. I'm on Shopify, but like almost all of their traffic comes from Facebook. So it's just the it captures demand from paid social. That's all Shopify is. Like, okay. If you have a Shopify store and you don't do anything else, you will not get sales. Now, if you have right. an Amazon store and you do nothing else, you could still get sales. Think about it like that. Well, and that's really interesting. I've heard the, I mean, a couple of people, I guess, in the later stage speak about like buying an FBA business run on Amazon and like FBA business, like, oh, stay away from that. Don't launch on Amazon. Figure out the DTC company, uh, stand alone. And it's interesting how you go in and, oh, start on Amazon and reverse that and go the DTC route, which is... Yeah, that's, I think that'll, that'll have the highest chance of success with the lowest amount of input capital. You're in, you're in e-commerce. What trends have, do you see in e-commerce now that er, that's early and you're like, oh, if I wasn't running Ridge, I would go and build in this niche, in this trend and build on that. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's hard to say, uh, I guess I would probably get into shoes, <laughs> uh, just because I think you, you want to look for large categories without obvious winners, right? So like okay. athletic shoes has an obvious winner. It's Nike right. and then there's Alberts or whatever else, but like, you know, like, uh, like a dress sneaker doesn't really have the obvious winner. I mean, common projects, right. But that's a little more niche or whatever. Right. And there's a lot of really great shoe companies doing a lot of great stuff out there. I would also, I mean, if I had to start over in e-com, I would focus on a subscription product. I don't know what that product would be, but I would like it to be subscription because it's very hard to win over uh, a, a customer and you should want to get them hooked for life. So I think there's a lot of stuff in the non-alcoholic beverage space, the coffee alternative space. Um, you see, I mean, supplements is always a huge one, but it's like, how do you make a good supplement that isn't just snake oil? I don't know. Right. So. Like, I, I don't really know which categories are exploding. I think Google Trends is the best place to find that or subreddits that are growing is the best way to find that. Um, but, dude, it's – it's. I mean, I don't want to doom your audience out, but it's going to be a hard couple of years for e-com <laughs> for a lot of reasons I can talk about. But it's going to be a hard couple of years. Right. And is, is it is it because of all the – privacy issues with, we're seeing from Apple? Is it because of the stock market? Is it because of inefficiency in markets? Like what are the reasons it's going to be hard in e-com for the past couple of next coming years? It comes down to e-commerce penetration rates. <laughs> so uh, the percentage of transactions that happen online has steadily increased for the past 20 years. COVID made it go up 10 years in the future. So in 2020, e-commerce penetration rates were acting like we were in 2030. But wow. we're not in 2030. So as COVID goes away, e-commerce penetration rates decrease. And that decrease will take a couple of years to catch up to the 2020 rates. So what that means is there's less transactions happening online than there were a year ago, right? Especially as right. GDP starts to uh, contract a little bit because we're in a recession. It's just we're for the first time ever. That's the definition of a bear market. The market is not growing. So no matter how smart you thought you were the past couple of years, you've done it with wind at your back. And now the wind has stopped blowing and it might be pushing you the other way. So that's, that's, it's just purely economic. It's just, it's just a, a rule of numbers that less transactions are happening online year over year. So that makes it harder to be in e-commerce, right? So even as 
That's what people are having success with wholesale and pivoting to brick and mortar and trying retail again. It's just that that percentage of transactions is, is happening. It's growing on that side of the business. So Right. So like you just said, brick and mortar isn't going anywhere. It's staying here, but you have to add e-commerce to be successful. You have to play on both. Is that kind of right? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a hundred, it's, it's, it's the rule of numbers, right? It's a, it's a game theory or whatever. There's a hundred percent of transactions that happen in a year, right? Cause every year there's only, every transaction happens and it used to be that 25% were e-com, now 20% are e-com. That means that 5% is going back to retail. So retail has a small little resurgence. Long-term e-com will come back stronger in 10 years or whatever, but like brick and mortar still makes up the majority of transactions and it's going to forever. Um, I'm, in, I'm coming to my last three questions. Uh, two questions. Uh, my first question is fast, bold, all these kind of startups that uh, want to do one click checkout. What, what's your thoughts on there? I've talked to Ryan from Bolt. I think I think he's he's a misunderstood guy in the in the mainstream media. Um, I think he wanted to make a very good company, and I think Bolt has a, a chance of success. The problem with both of them is that they don't have consumers. Okay. So, uh, yeah, one click, one click checkout is great. <laughs> the, the theory behind one click checkout is great. Oh, go to any website and click a button and and, and make a purchase. But consumers still need to put their shipping address, the billing address, the card information, all that type of stuff into something one time, right? So it's, they have to face customer acquisition on your store. They're using your store to, to, to get customer acquisition. And that's just like the, the, the main problem behind it, right? It's like the reason why it's hard to get merchants to adapt to it. I mean, the other thing is e-com owners are incredibly uh, conservative, uh, conspiratorial, like they think they always, because to be like, I, I know a lot of hundred million dollar year merchants and they're all insane because to, to be successful in this industry at a high level, you have to be an insane person. So anyway, they're, they're very, just very cautious about any of this type of stuff. So it's really hard to win us over. Um, and we need a clear value prop of why we're doing it. Cause we're essentially giving you ad space on our checkout, right? What's the benefit for us? So do I think it's going to be around forever? Yeah, probably. I mean, someone's going to win the one chick. It, it's going to exist. So I don't think fast is around anymore. So I guess Bolt's yeah, Bolt de facto winner. But, so. Yes. But I, I was I was really interested with fast when they when they were started. Like their hype, the, the hype they had on, on Twitter was crazy. And this is why I'm like, uh, they, they started giving free 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 hoodies, free that, free this. And, and I guess they went away. And I guess what you mentioned is right. I guess all one-click checkouts, they're focusing on getting with brands first. Uh, if they go and get the customer and have the customer be their, the consumer be their customer, and then them taking this customer and taking it to brands, this would make it work more in, in a sense. Essentially, it's a marketplace. <laughs> you're, right. bu you're building a payment marketplace on top of checkout, which marketplaces are notoriously hard. Because you're, Yeah, it'd be great if they had consumers, but you can't get consumers without utility it's like imagine if uber tried to get people without having cars it's like yeah okay. fucking yeah you gotta do both that's why it's so hard last question you're in the space what are who are three founders in the e-commerce space you bet you bet your money on if you're an investor you'll see these two three founders like i'm betting my money on them yeah i mean uh there's 
they're going to be friends of mine. So if yeah. you listen to this, shout out guys. Okay. But uh, we're in a group chat together. Okay. Uh, there's a guy, Mike from Simple Modern. He's on Twitter. I think he's destined to have a multi-billion dollar exit. I think Mike is tenacious. He has a great product and he wins in categories that are very, very hard to win in. Uh, I have a friend, David, from Mary Ruth Organics. Uh, they make vegan children's vitamin. Him and his wife run this business together. Uh, destined to have a multi-billion dollar exit. I think they're crushing it on a very, very high level. Just very product-oriented, right? And then I have a friend, Jeremy, from Kitsch. Him and his wife run a company. Um, they make women's hair ties and accessories. Once again, just... Uh, diversification above all else, very hard to beat him. So I talk to those guys every single day. Uh, shout out those guys. There's another guy, Matt from Pella. Uh, he has a thing called Lumi as well. Check him out on Twitter. Uh, he's doing stuff in a space that nobody else is. And the space is growing very fast. Some s- semi-green, semi-client science, that type of stuff. Um, we'll also be a multi-billion dollar exit. So I have to put one last question. How are you going to sell to Yeti and why? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeti almost bought a company called Osprey Bags. Okay. That deal fell apart. Uh, that information might be public. I heard it through the grapevine from somebody, mm-hmm. but um, you know, Osprey got bought by Helen and Troy, which owns Hydroflask, and you know, uh, maybe Camelback. I don't, I don't know exactly who they own, but they're a big PE holdup group. Um, and Yeti uh, has built an amazing business off of coolers and drinkware, but they're mostly drinkware, uh, 60-something percent of their revenue. They launch bags. Bags have not been a hit for them, sub-2% of revenue. Uh, and they've kind of lost all passion. If you listen to like the earnings call, it's about like, we have a new color coming out, which is like just not the lead. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> very, very much public company leadership, very slow, very steady or whatever, doing stock buybacks. Um, so I think we can build... I think we're going to build essentially a Mont Blanc competitor, right? We're, we're, getting, we're going to try to own the men's, ex, the men's accessory space, but from a durability angle. Uh, and I think they would want to add that to their portfolio. They've, they've toyed around with acquisitions in the past. So I think they're going to buy me for a billion dollars in 2026. So if that love happens, you're here first. Love that. Love that. Sean, thank you so much. Uh, this is one of the best like sittings and recordings I've done. Uh, love the energy. Uh, love the information you gave. Uh, thank you for being here. Cool. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. Uh, thank you. Bye bye.